Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Countrymen, welcome to an episode of Shared History. Can you history me now? I can. I can history you loud and clear. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means, but I I can do it. Is that? I think you contributed that one to our oh. opening tag list. Is Sprint? Can you hear me now? No, it's Verizon. Verizon. But but oh, yeah, Verizon guys switched because, over yeah, to Sprint because that because the actor. You know what? Treachery. I love it because you know that he had a do not like a conflict in his contract where he wasn't allowed to do that. And oh, the yeah. second that they were able to steal him and it just hit, you know what? It could have fallen flat for Sprint, but Sprint really rolled the dice on our People generation. remembering. Those. Well, and, and specifically like our demographic being kind of mm -hmm. like. I guess we're now on the older end of that key demographic that marketers yep. always go to. <laughs> but like our demographic being like, ooh, and you know yes. what? Look, we're doing it. So. Not only not only do are we able to actually remember the Verizon commercials, but now we're like, oh my god, drama. Yeah. They really they really keyed into the nostalgia of millennials and also that we are some petty drama loving bitches <laughs> that is 100 p do you think that true. gen z will get like nostalgic or do you think gen z will be like i mean hopefully it becomes gen z not feeling nostalgic about how when they were utes uh we were all ruining the planet Hopefully they can't get nostalgic about that because we've fixed the problem, not because the planet no longer exists. Yes, like to be fair, there's not a lot to be nostalgic about right now. I don't yeah. ever, I don't think anyone's gonna. Oh, the good old days of 2020 when I was locked inside. Yep. But I really hope they don't have nostalgia for any of the like. Oh, we had better Disney Channel movies or whatever. Because you didn't. Because you didn't. <laughs> But also, Xenon Girl in the 21st century is perfect. Zetus the Petus. What? What generation are we? Are we? Are we? You and I, Gen X? No, no you we're and just I are millennials. You and I are firmly millennials. Got it. Yeah, millennials. I feel like we got so annoyed with like our parents' generation. Oh my God! It was not the good old days. There was all of these bad things. Why do you insist on loving the good old days? And then we're like. But you guys don't understand. Our good old days were the correct ones. Like, you are doing the exact same thing that you got pissed about that generation for doing, the boomers. I think every generation does that. Because I think yeah. the Gen X feels that way about the boomers. And yeah. the millennials feel that way about Gen X. And then I will say that I think we millennials were like, shut up about your good old days. But then also, like, didn't necessarily... I mean, time will tell still, because the youngest millennials are still f young enough to be up and coming and, uh, and starting to make moves. But I do feel like we widely, like, 
complained about the reminiscing of the good old days but didn't necessarily yeah. do anything about fixing the real problems of the generation before us whereas like gen z coming in hot yeah well and boomers being like oh the good old days of like when it was you know like super easy to be easier it's always been easy easier to be a white person and not get called out for it and like oh, we didn't have to give women money back then. Whereas millennials, uh, the good old days, is just super elitist of like, well, you didn't have Walkmen and those were funny. And I don't know, like Britney Spears boy band music was the best. It's a little more snobby than it is like hearkening to the good old days, which were only good for a few people. I also love that Gen X will be like, yeah, the good old days. Oh, and we like made all these big changes and blah 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 and like we did all this during the vietnam war i protested it blah 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 but also i'm gonna get mad at you millennials and gen z for protesting anything at all i love the boomer mentality of like kids these days they weren't raised right they they don't have the same values and stuff that i had well whose fucking job was it to raise us and instill values also who what values were those exactly white supremacy and homophobia (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my yes gosh. the answer to that is yes uh, yes yep yep there's there, there's i just read sorry all of the all of the 60 and 65 plus year old listeners have turned this episode off so yeah sorry <laughs> right sorry we're just coming in coming in spitting spitting some hot fire as the youths <laughs> don't say uh anymore yeah i just finished reading glennon doyle's book from this year untamed and in it, there's a moment where she, she's telling a story about how at a speaking engagement, uh, an older woman in the audience asked her, like, very politely, why everyone is gay now? Like, why? Like, it feels like everyone is gay now. And she, like, very calmly kind of explains that it's nice that, like, these people have always been gay, but that they couldn't necessarily, they didn't feel like they could yeah. come out. And it's it's chef's kiss. And I laughed very loudly at because it was very clear that the woman asking the question was a fan and also like a woman who is just asking a question that a lot of people are too afraid to ask. And she yeah. doesn't mean any harm she, by it. She just is like, I don't understand. Please help me yeah. understand. And it's the chapter is great. Yeah. Yeah. I had a uh, friend's parent, you know, back in high school do that. Well, it's just cool to be gay now. And because you see it on the TV and I was like, this is still back in like early 2000s when it's, I mean, it's still not great. A lot of bad stuff's happening and people are getting called out and like a lot of bullying about it is starting. I was like, who, who thinks it's cool to have to go through all of that? Yeah. Like that's pick a different reason. Just that's to, not it. Just to be yourself and express your true self. I love yes. having to climb extra mountains for no reason. <laughs> It's just great. I love it so much. Wow. What a sidetracked. Hey, listeners. Right now, it's during our little hi- holiday hiatus, and Cass and I haven't talked in like three weeks. So you're welcome. Please excuse for us this. while we catch up. Yeah. So uh, you'll be listening to this in January. So you're welcome. You got to listen in on our little catch up. I should also note that before we even started recording, we talked about books and movies for like 45 minutes. <laughs> But that doesn't oh. matter because we're here now. Last last bit of business and catch up. Natalie, can you tell our 
dear sweet listeners what i got you for christmas <gasps> i can i by this point i'm sure i'll have already posted it but Cass got me a lovely custom bar of soap that says it does not say fight club it says <laughs> share history and it smells delicious but i will resist eating it it's i love it so much well i just you know uh, uh i don't want you to share germs so I want you to wash your hands, but I still want you to share history, Natalie. I'm going to rub some history all over my body. <laughs> and then I'm going to ask myself if I can hear history now from inside my pores. From the echoes of history. Mm-hmm. Natalie, the question. Answer. Do you, do you have history to I share do with have me some right his- now? I do have some history to share. Friends, this is our last just Cass and I episode of the season and our penultimate episode of the season our next episode will be our finale and you know I just was looking back at the topics that we've done this season and we've had a lot of fun but I decided that for me there just wasn't enough science in this season <gasps> Ooh! and so my cats were feeling <clears throat> a little left out and lonely so <laughs> I went to my my Rachel Ignatovsky book and postcard set. I have these postcards Ooh. too. Um, my Women in Science, 50 Fearless Pioneers Who Changed the World, written and illustrated by Rachel Ignatovsky, whose name I hope I'm pronouncing right. And I drew a little inspiration from this to find, you know, a friend for Marie Curie. <gasps> so We love Marie. We stand Marie. Yeah, the cat and the person. Yes. So here I am. With the story of Xian Sheng Wu, an appropriate companion to Marie, because one of her nicknames is Chinese Madame Curie, which <gasps> is inaccurate, of course, for a variety of reasons. Firstly, <laughs> she was Chinese American. Secondly, she was born in China. She became American citizen. She's Chinese American, so she's not Chinese <clears throat> Madame Curie. Secondly, Xian Sheng Wu was a physicist and i guess i'm the weirdo who thinks of marie curie as a chemist first like i know she was also a physicist but in my head i think of her as a chemist first oh i guess i do too and i thank you thank you for validating me i did while also, i was physics is what hmm physics is what that's like like particles and shit yeah and yeah, like no, I think of her as gravity a and motion and yeah i think of her a chemist yeah. first because probably because she like discovered an element also, and because every picture book of Marie Curie has her holding a fucking beaker. Right? I feel like it's in her in a white coat with a beaker. And men in the background being like, don't do it! Don't do the science! <laughs> witch! She's a witch! <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was crazy. And so I even asked my lovely partner, I was like, question, do you think of Marie Curie as a physicist first or a chemist first? And he said chemist. And I was like, great. Thank you also for validating me. I'm just looking for people to validate me. I'm glad I'm not your only case study because if you're like, if Cass thinks this, it must be totally correct and normal. No, no. no. My sample size of people whose opinion I care about are are my podcast partner (laughs) and my partner. Also, that's another reason why I just think that like not Chinese Madame Curie. And, you know, uh, lastly, but most importantly, stop calling people of color, quote, ethnicity version of famous white person from history, please. Let's just, let's stop doing that. I hate it so much. We talked about this in our previous episode about Joseph Ballone, who people keep incorrectly calling the Black Mozart 
if if he's a black Mozart at all, it's because Mozart stole his music. And then I feel bad posting things on social media and then hashtagging them black Mozart because I know that from a SEO perspective, I need to use the phrase black Mozart in the posts and in the social media posts. But I know, I know better. And yet I have to keep, I know better. Do you know what? I just got to throw one thing in there because this one pisses me off so much. Katie Ledecky, the like just unreal, insane, maybe not even human Olympic swimmer is always called the female Michael Phelps. And I'm like, no, she's unacceptable. She's Kayla. She's a swimmer. She's Kayla Decky. Yeah. Michael Phelps wishes. Or you could call her by her full name, motherfucking Katie Ledecky. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't uh, add her honorific title. Yes. <laughs> she's uh, an, she has an MF. Yeah. Oh my, god. oh my god i'm i'm just going through life working to earn my mf some people want to learn, earn their mrs i'm trying to earn my mf a lot of people paid a lot of money to get the mfa at the end of their name yeah the mf at the front of my name right <laughs> anyway back to anyway. motherfucking xian sheng wu her other nicknames are a little bit more accurate she's also known as the first lady of physics Ooh. And queen of nuclear research. So now that we cleared that up. I was going to say her titles just keep increasing. Right? <laughs> Wu is an experimental physicist, possibly best known for her work on the Manhattan Project. And also her work to disprove a like what was considered, it was a theory, but it was considered kind of a major like law of physics. If you don't know what the Manhattan Project is, just on the off chance, the Manhattan Project, they were working <clears throat> towards the creation of the atomic bomb. So totally cool. Oh. If you don't know, it doesn't involve Dr. Manhattan from The Watchmen, but also go watch that series. It's great. Let's get to know Xian Sheng Wu. Please. She was born in the Jiangsu province of China. She was the middle child and the only daughter, which I read as a recipe for overachieving. Just <laughs> eager to overachieve. She was very close. So with, true. <laughs> she was very close with her father, who encouraged her in her studies and her interests, and which was kind of a big deal because lots of folks didn't believe in education for girls at that time in China, or let's mm -hmm. face it, everywhere. And her father actually founded the elementary school. I believe it's the elementary school she attended, which was one of the first in, I want to say China, but maybe it was just that region that allowed girls to study. Oh, there. wow. So her dad's like, be smart. You're good at it. Go <laughs> forth, learn, be a contributing member of society. Also, that's a hell of a hell of a father. Yeah. I'm going to build a school just so my daughter can go. No, I'm kidding. He didn't make it just so she could go. I realize I didn't say any dates of where we're at. I mean, oh, the Manhattan yeah. Project kind of tells you whereabouts we are. But she was born in 1912. So just to kind of Good set the scene. I want to get to her work, but I also, because her father really pushed her to get a great education and I don't want to discredit her education. So real quick, we'll fly through education. No bits, promise. No, wait, I mean, there can be bits. <laughs> there can always be bits. 
after finishing elementary school, she attended a boarding school, which had like normal high school level classes and also a teacher training program. And I guess it's very competitive to get into the teacher training program. But if you got in, you had free tuition and free boarding. And then also you had a guaranteed job after graduation, but it was also way more competitive to get into. And she did not I read in one of my sources, it said that she didn't necessarily need that program because her her family could af- could afford f- to send her to the boarding school without that like free ride. But yeah. she wanted, she was like, mm, I'm thirsty for competition. <laughs> There's that middle only child or only daughter yep. syndrome coming in right there. And so she not only got into the teaching program, there were something like 10,000 applicants and she was ranked ninth overall. And when she finished from, I think from when she finished from that boarding school, she was top of her class. She could have been top of her class in college. I don't remember. I didn't write it down. I'm a trash person because I (laughs) wanted to mow through the education. She was 11 when she went to this high school slash like training, teacher training school. Oh my God. She graduates from there. She's required to spend a year teaching. It was a requirement of that program. And then she's admitted to National Central University. She graduates from there. And after graduating from there, she's a researcher at the Institute of Physics of the Academia Sinica. Her supervisor there had gotten their PhD from University of Michigan and encouraged Wu to do the same. So... Wu's like, okay, sure, why not? And she and another scientist lady friend, a chemist friend, journey off to the United States, having been accepted at University of Michigan for a PhD. She, it's August 1936. She's 24 years old. Okay, come on now. Right? And they're <laughs> just making us feel bad. <laughs> They arrive in San Francisco. Wu is shown around the labs at Berkeley by another, like a fellow physicist. And she falls in love with Berkeley. And or she heard that Michigan, at Michigan, women were not even allowed to use the front entrance of their lab. Wait, in 1936? 19, yeah. I don't like that. So whether she just like really falls in love with this radiation lab at Berkeley or she just really falls in love with San Francisco or she is like, that's stupid, Michigan. You're a dum-dum. Sorry, Michigan. (laughs) She decides to say, fuck University of Michigan and decides to stay at in San Francisco instead and is offered a place at Berkeley despite the fact that the academic year had already started. She is not offered a scholarship that year or like following years largely due to prejudice against asians cool right cool 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 fun but she stays at berkeley anyway Mm. she completes her phd at the age of 28 i hate myself what are what are normal phd learning getting years i mean there's no normal you can do there's no normal for phd i feel like that's probably on track yeah, I was thinking for about a PhD. that. For like And it's like that timing is on track for for being a year or two out of college and deciding to go, pursue your PhD. I just... I'm just saying that so I don't feel as bad because I think I was 25 when I got my undergrad degree, so... I was 21. <laughs> You're not better than me. But both of us got worthless <laughs> degrees. Uh, <laughs> I mean, very valuable to us apparently emotionally 
<laughs> hey, Cass. Yes, Nat? Would you say you wear your love of Iowa on your sleeve? You know what? I, I would actually. Is it because you regularly shop at Raygun? Oh, you mean the greatest store in the universe? The most important clothing store the earth has ever seen since the early Mesozoic era? The one that started in Iowa and now has stores throughout the Midwest? Mm-hmm. That's the one. Yeah, I do own a lot of Raygun products, specifically ones that brag about Iowa. So yeah, I guess I literally wear my love of Iowa on my sleeve. Cool. Just checking. Did you know that this podcast is sponsored by Raygun and that Raygun has stores in Des Moines, Chicago, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, Kansas City, Omaha, or you can shop online at raygunsite.com? Yes. Yes, I know all of that. Of course you do. Use promo code SHARYOULATER to save on your next order. You don't need to be obsessed with Iowa to shop there and enjoy their stuff. But it never hurts. <sighs> That's raygunsite.com. Promo code SHARYOULATER. So she completes her PhD uh, at the age of 28. Her thesis was on deceleration, radiation, and radioactive isotopes produced by nuclear fission. I could go more into this, but it would just be me reading directly from Wikipedia, I'm familiar. I'm familiar. word for word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know what we're talking yeah, right, about right, right. here. Yeah. What's important is that she became an authority on beta decay, which is a type of radioactive decay and is a topic that comes up then in a lot of her scientific achievements and also she wrote a book by the same by that that is literally just called beta decay later in her career that is still considered standard reading among physicists that sounds like an awesome like punk rock band we are beta decay we are beta decay one two three four we are Uh, sex bubble hum it's all i ever do is allison pill from scott pilgrim (laughs) So, the fellow physicist who showed her around the radiation lab at Berkeley was Luke Xia Lu Yuan, a grandson of the first president of the Republic of China. Yuan eventually transfers to Caltech largely because of the discrimination and not getting a scholarship because he was Asian, but the two remain very close and marry after graduation. Whoa. We love a romance that involves a radiation lab. <laughs> But this time, the radiation lab was not a shed. And also, the radiation lab was safe because we (laughs) understood radiation bad. (laughs) Oh, I love science love. Love science love. They moved to the East Coast for work. Wu teaching at Smith and then later at Princeton. She was a first. Her student. given a big old middle finger. She flies over Michigan. Yeah, just <laughs> just making faces out the window at the clouds <laughs> above Michigan. She was the first woman hired as faculty in the physics department as Princeton. Fun factoid. And then in 1944, she joins the Manhattan Projects. She joins their Substitute Alloy Materials or SAM laboratories at Columbia University. Wu started on a team at the, the team she was, I don't know if she just started on this team or if she stayed on this team and she was on this team the whole time, but at Manhattan Project, her team was tasked with developing radiation detector instruments. So her research included vastly improving Geiger counters. So when I say radiation detector instruments, the only one that I can name is a Geiger counter. So good for her. Uh, She also helped develop a way to enrich uranium into the isotopes needed to fuel the bomb. So in Rachel Ignatovsky's 
book. I thought you were about to pull out a bomb and just start showing me. (laughs) Natalie leaned over to grab the book. I was like, what is she grabbing here? So this is an atom bomb. I like to keep (laughs) one in my bedside drawer just for, you know, when things get a little saucy. I like to whip out an atom bomb. Um, So on Rachel Ignatowski's like illustrations in the book and on the postcard, there's some of every scientist's like achievements in around the illustration and one of them on this one says helped develop the fuel for the atomic bomb so there we are that's i don't know i list like a visual aid because this podcasting is a visual medium obviously also then when the b reactor at hanford mysteriously kept shutting down Wu, who had done extensive work on in her thesis on the radioactive isotopes of xenon. Oh, look, we brought it down to xenon girl of the 21st century. Zetus She helped identify that poisoning by xenon isotope 135 was the culprit for that reactor continuously shutting down, even though they had like, had, like just started. So she was like, oh, hey, isn't it rewarding when something you dedicate a lot of time and energy and in your educational upbringing comes in handy and is actually applicable i wouldn't know uh, <laughs> after world war ii and after the manhattan project because she one source just said like she left the manhattan project and so i don't know why i don't know if she was like the bomb is bad or if she just was like moving on up to the east side and it i told y'all about xenon 135 i don't know what more i can do here yeah catch up keep up guys i'm gonna yeah. do something else but afterwards, she's, she stays at Columbia. She becomes a full professor at Columbia. Eventually, her pay at Columbia was raised to be equal to that of her male colleagues, which is dope. Oh, wow. Wait, what year was that? That she was teaching. This is after World War II that she became a professor at Columbia. So I think we're in late 40s, early 50s. I don't know when her salary was raised. Like, to- it, feels, it feels gross to be like, good for you guys for paying a woman the same. Yeah. But you know what? In the 50s, the bar was negative. It was so low. Now so I want to get a thanks professor. Thanks for bringing it up a bit. Now I want to get a professor from Columbia on the podcast as a guest and then just ask them pointedly if their pay is equal to the men in their <laughs> department and then Ooh, watch, their, watch their face fall with sadness. Oh. But other important contributions to physics that I would keep calling her woo, but also, you know, Dr. Xian Sheng seems more appropriate. She got her PH dizzle. Mm-hmm. Other important contributions were the first confirmation of Enrico Fermi's 1933 theory of beta decay. There's beta decay coming back again. Hello. Beta decay is a type of radioactive decay in which a beta particle well it doesn't matter it's a type of radioactive decay i'm not gonna we're fine it's it's when radioactive it's how radioactive atoms become more stable and less radioactive that's what beta decay is she also disproved a long-held theory as i mentioned before called the law of conservation of parity which essentially said that radioactive atoms decay in a symmetrical way and she helped disprove it because she was one of the first to observe a new particle called the k-mesin k-mesin k i don't know (laughs) that decayed asymmetrically the experiment, which used a, a really strong magnet, I think, is, <laughs> I, I know science, shared science, is 
that experiment though is now known as the Wu experiment and you're gonna hate this like many other women at the time her work was not widely acknowledged and she was denied recognition with the Nobel Prize despite the fact that the male physicists that worked on the experiment did receive the Nobel Prize for that experiment that is named for her Ugh, wait it's but it's named after her yep but somehow she's omitted from their nobel prize this is my impersonation of uh all of those male physicists getting interviewed after winning hey she wait this wasn't in the 30s and 40s whatever but congratulations being super good scientists hey how'd you guys come up with the name of your project oh what i thought natalie you were gonna be the guys but oh no you said it was your impression. It so was my was... impression, yeah. But I was just being the... the... Yeah, yeah. Their impression was... We uh... should have worked that bit out. <laughs> uh, we saw we, was the, like... we saw the the particle decay symmetrically and we were like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh... That is going in history books. Thanks, gentlemen. Great. Thank you so much. Um, I would tell you their names. I have them written down here, but this isn't about them. So it's I'm not, not going to. It's not about them. I'm not going to. They got a Nobel Prize. They don't need to have their name mentioned in this podcast. They're fine. You know why? Because the project's not named after them. Yeah. They're doing fine. Later, at a symposium at MIT, she wondered, perhaps aloud to herself or to her audience, quote, whether the tiny atoms and nuclei or the mathematical symbols or the DNA molecules have any preference for either masculine or feminine treatment. Because it was her being like, oh, I wonder if the science that I'm doing cares that I'm a woman doing science. Oh my god. I love that. I love it so much. She did, however, receive many other honors during her career and not all like posthumously. So yeah. I guess... We'll take that as a, as a win. Some of her honors included being only the seventh woman ever elected to the National Academy of Sciences. She okay. won the Comstock Prize in Physics. She was the first woman to be president of the American Physical Society. She was the first person ever to receive the Wolf Prize in Physics. She And she re was the first woman to receive an honorary doctorate by Princeton. And in 1990, she had an asteroid named after her. What? Right? And then in 1995, other physicists founded the Wu Xiansheng uh, Education Foundation in Taiwan with the purpose of providing scholarships for young aspiring scientists. So they like started it in her honor. And then, like I mentioned, she has a book, Beta Decay, that she publishes around this time. And she passed in 1997 and was posthumously inducted into the American National Women's Hall of Fame. She never saw her parents again from when she left China when she was 24. Because when she finished college, or when she finished her PhD, the, like, World War II was going on. So the Pacific was just bombs yeah. away. And so she it wasn't safe for her to return. And then she was thwarted by the Chinese Civil War. And then her father wrote her a letter urging her not to return to communist China. So by the time she went back to China in 1973, her parents, her uncle, and 
I think just maybe one of her brothers had passed away. The latter two, her uncle and her brother, having been killed in the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Oh. So she went back, but... She didn't get to see her family again. Yeah. She never got to see her family again when she came over, but... Do you know what would have been really nice? If she could have honored her family's legacy with a fucking Nobel Prize. Would have been nice. Oh my god. But... That, I... Marie Curie, I'm not saying, like, it's okay or I get it, but, like, I get it. They're not throwing her name on the Nobel Prize. Like, she, that's not right. But men back then weren't cool with it. I feel like it was maybe probably, it was probably easier to exclude her because it wasn't fucking named after her. I don't understand that. I don't understand how it could be named after her. Ugh. Ugh. I'm so angry right now. Well, and now I can't remember offhand, but I I seem to recall with Marie Curie that her name originally wasn't on the Nobel Prize either. Like when they when they put up the the her first one. Yeah, she wasn't on that, it. That that I think her partner was like, No, no, no. Or somebody else on the committee was like, No, yeah. no, no. Marie Curie, motherfuckers. So mm. Ugh, that's so frustrating. And also, do you know what's what's difficult about doing history of science, like, and even especially more modern science, is that it's really easy to understand how big and significant, like, Isaac Newton discovering gravity was. Because most of us understand gravity. It's kind of a high-level concept. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more science involved in it. But it's super easy for children to understand. You drop something, it falls. Yeah. That's gravity. Whoa. They didn't know about that till then. That's huge. Awesome. Great. And then when you get into, like, they've discovered everything. They've figured everything out. Except for these tiny little, like, you have to be so smart to understand that this these tiny little scientific advancements or even proving something wrong that we thought was right for so long yeah i have no clue what it is i don't know what it means but it's huge and it changes scientific landscapes and it affects everything but because it's so smart we're like cool (laughs) and it's really hard to yeah stress the it's hard to grasp the the enormity of it yeah gravity would have been a better word for it (laughs) um that's what's frustrating about it too because yeah it's really hard to because these, these were this for non-science people. large discoveries about very tiny things <laughs> literally <laughs> super tiny but so that's that's what makes science really hard i just thought that we needed a little more science well um thank you for telling me about mf shenshun wu phd <laughs> she got all the, You're uh, welcome. I'm going to send you this postcard when we're done. I'm going to put this postcard in the mail for you. She got all the initials in front of and behind her name. So, And then she went from first lady, president, to queen. Like, right? that's wow. Right? That's impressive. Queen of nuclear research. BB. Love it. Now, I'm very excited for your story. Because oh as God. we were logging into the Zoom, Cass was checking on a little bit of research and discovered something that just made her jaw go slack and her eyes go real big. I was and... looking for I was looking for a, a bit of information about one of the people involved in the story. It's like, it's not that big of a deal, but I'll look into it a little bit further. And 
I have all my research and I'm looking for this one thing. I stumble upon something extra. I was like, are you, it just made me really angry. So uh, I just like, as we were, as I was getting everything start, like going on my end, I just keep looking back at the screen and I just see Cass wrestling and kind of muttering to herself about some fact from this story. So I, I am titillated to be sure. So I want to apologize, Natalie, because I'm going to be talking about sports ball. Okay. Which I know is your favorite topic. <laughs> Look, I don't, I don't dislike sports. I just don't care about following professional sports. Yeah. But sports. I like uh, playing sports. <laughs> playing, playing sports ball is great. Not great with, I'm not great with stats. I don't know who did the thing for the yards of the points of whatever, but I'm going to tell you about Johnny Bright. And a cool thing about sports is that it helped a lot of underrepresented people open a lot of doors. And that happens in this story too. John Bright was a professional football player. Football American. Football American, yes. Uh, he was born in 1930 in Indiana and was, you know, casual three-sport athlete in high school. Track, basketball, football, all the things. And, well, you gotta have your spring sport and your fall sport. Oh, yes, absolutely. And throwing it back to Michigan, uh, Michigan State offered him a football scholarship. But he was like, nah. It says he's unhappy with the direction of the Spartans football program. Don't know what that means, but he Either transferred. Either way, both Michigan State and University of Michigan getting... Michigan, y'all not looking good right now. Getting a lot of notable <laughs> people almost attending <coughs> your school. Um, instead of going to Michigan State, he uh, he transfers to Drake University, which at the time was a Division One football team in the Missouri Valley Conference, which was also conveniently located in Des Moines, Iowa. Convenient. Oh, look at that. Convenient. He transferred to Drake on a track and field scholarship and he tried out for football for the football team and the basketball team. He lettered in all three of those sports as a collegiate athlete. Hi, I'm Gia. And I'm Layla. You don't know us. And you probably don't want to know us. But you definitely want to know the women who we're celebrating in our brand new podcast, She, she Fucking, fucking did, did That. that. Women deserve a little recognition for what they did to shape the entire fucking world. Layla and I are going to tell the tales of the badass women in history and today who made an impact on culture and society. You may not know some of them yet, but you will. Oh yeah, and we might be a little buzzed because every celebration requires at least a little alcohol. Join us as we raise a glass to these fine women. Listen wherever you listen to your other favorite podcasts. And follow us on social media while you're at it. At SFDT Podcast. She fucking did that. Premiering this Sunday, July 5th. We can't wait to fucking do this. He had to, he was, he was a redshirt freshman, which means when you transfer, you can't play like that season. So he had to wait a season. And then um, in 1949, he started playing for the football team. And we were just talking about stats and like numbers, whatever. They mean a lot. They kind of go over my head, especially with football, because there's so many different numbers and stats for different things. But basically, he was really good. Like, and that doesn't even cover it. It's like, how, how are you so good? He played quarterback 
and running back. So he was playing two, like, yeah. And I think it was interchangeable because I don't think he would, like, snap the ball and then hand it off to himself. (laughs) Although I wouldn't be surprised if he could. He was, like, he, uh, like, his first uh, season, he had, like, 1,975 rushing yards and 975 throwing yards, which was a lot. He was leading the nation in offense all over the board, and then they finished that season with a record of 6-2-1. and one. Six wins, two losses, one tie. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just obscene, all of these numbers. I, I don't know. I like want to say them all because they're impressive, but it just at a certain point, it's like, okay, how can he, we get it? He's good. He yeah. just keeps adding like 1,200 yesterday yards in one season and you know, 5.5 average yards carry per play. It's ridiculous. He's amazing. He is the first African-American who's in preseason contention for the Heisman Trophy. Like season hasn't even started. Integration has not really taken off, let's say, at this time, 1950. And so... That's a big deal that the season hasn't even started. This next season hasn't even started. And he's in like, like top five contenders for the Heisman Trophy and most likely is going to clinch it. Then comes what is called the Johnny Bright incident. Oh no, I don't like when somebody has an incident named for them. <laughs> nope. Drake University starts off with a perfect season, five and oh. They're unstoppable. He, he just like, again, just take like 10 players off the field. And I think you can only have 11 at a time and just let John play by himself. Cause yeah. it's getting, cause he'll snap it to himself. Guys. He'll snap it to himself, throw it up in the air, run over, catch yeah. it. He, so like I said, he was the halfback quarterback, which was a big deal because, and very controversial. It says it marked the first time that such a prominent African-American athlete with national fame, played such a critical importance to the success of this team. Like, the history, I wanted to do a whole episode about black quarterbacks in the NFL and in college football. Like, you don't see that position a lot, and it's it's had a kind of contentious history. So, in 1951, being not only the lead, like, he's a quarterback and he's scoring like 70% of their points. He's mm-hmm. also the running back. He's like carrying this team. He's kind of like a, like, like Iowa sweetheart. He's becoming this national like phenomenon. It's a big deal. He's got like kind of a lot of people in his corner too. <clears throat> and then comes their game against Oklahoma A&M, which is now known as Oklahoma State. They're located in Stillwater, Oklahoma. So they travel to Stillwater for their game. Now, in 1951, face masks were not required. Everyone had to wear helmets, but we're like just getting out of the leather head helmet yeah. thing into actual kind of sturdy helmets. We bear, we're just starting to recognize <laughs> that maybe, maybe barreling headlong into each other isn't great. It at least warrants a little more padding than leather. Yeah, put a thicker (laughs) helmet on, they'll be fine. Cut to 70 years later and we're still like, no, 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 they're fine. It's shh, 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 just just throw the ball. (laughs) Yeah. I think there there were face masks, some people could, but it wasn't required. And I don't think a lot of quarterbacks had them because visibility or running backs, whatever, you get it. 
and there were not as stringent rules on specific ways you could or could not hit people. Nowadays, there's targeting, which if someone is clearly going down or quote unquote defenseless and you hit them with, you like drop your head and hit them with your head on their head, whatever, like you're out of the game. Mm. It happened to Iowa State recently in our bowl game and one of our best defensive players was out in the first three minutes. I'm still not over it. I don't think it was targeting, but that's a different it's not discussion about them. It's not what we're talking about. So we are, we're in Stillwater. The week leading up to the game, it's like an open quote unquote secret that the coach is telling his players to target Bright. Like go for him, take him down, hurt him, get him out of the game. Well, the game starts and he gets three concussions right away. Goes back into the game every time. During the first seven minutes of the game, he was knocked unconscious three times. And then the next play, Wilbank Smith. That's a good name, though. Yes. I'm sure I'm about to really not like him. But what he, a good may, name. he may be one of the reasons why I was so angry while I was um, reading that last article. Uh, so Wilbank Smith, who had... Come for him every... I think he had, was the one that gave him at least one, if not all the three concussions. Comes for him in the next play. So Bright snaps the ball. He's a quarterback. And he immediately turns to hand it off to his running back. Basically, once a quarterback doesn't have him the ball anymore, like, you don't touch him. You can't go for him. There's no point. The, yeah, Nowadays, it's also like, why would you? Yeah. Nowadays, it's like, if you breathe on the quarterback after he lets go of the ball, like, you're out of there. Um, the man the man is a target on his back. Yes. For most of the men throwing themselves at people of the yep. game. Yeah. He's getting charged enough. If he doesn't have the ball, leave him alone. Yes. And it was one of those of, there's late hits where you like kind of go for it and you can't stop your momentum. Or maybe it was a little bit of a cheap shot, but you can kind of get away with it. Photographers from the Des Moines Register were at the game and they're like, we're only going to stay for the first quarter. In my mind, that's like, Drake's going to kick their ass anyway. We're going to go get a drink. But they ended up staying and they literally have like, there are, there's a sequence of four photos where you can basically see the whole progression of things. So you see the snap and then you see him like literally handing it off. And then the next picture, you see him like standing, like straight up and down. Like I did my job. The play's basically over. The ball is far away from me. And you still see Smith, the defensive player, kind of coming towards him. And then the next one, you see his forearm go up, kind of under his helmet, into his jaw. And he broke his jaw. Oh, my God. Yes. It's like the forearm hit was like, you, you don't need to do that. You don't do that in football. Um, he broke his jaw. He gets taken out and then gets put in for the very next play. No. Throws a 61-yard pass. What? Touchdown pass. With a broken jaw and three concussions? Well, yeah. He was, sorry, he couldn't throw it to himself. He had a broken jaw. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense then. Okay. <laughs> he threw a 61-yard touchdown pass with a broken jaw, continued to play the game until until the coaches were like, 
maybe we should take him out. First of all, the guy already had three concussions. Broke his jaw. Also, this is college football, so he's not getting paid. Exactly. And still, like, I don't know how he's play calling with a broken fucking jaw, first of all. 61-yard pass. That is, that's, uh, the length of a football field is 100 yards. 61 is, like, 60% of that. Good job. Shared mathematics. Thank you. (laughs) Praise me. I like that the way that you said it, it took me half a second for me to be like, yes, Cass, duh. (laughs) And it's like, oh, you did the math. I'm like, oh, no, the math was already done. (laughs) Believe it or not, that was a bit. Or what was it? So... These pictures get splashed over the newspaper and the, I'm not trying to take away from Johnny or take away from Drake University, but there's a picture of the Des Moines Register and in huge letters it says, Iowa fails, 21-20, that's the Iowa Hawkeyes. And then right next to it it says, Iowa State wins. And then under it, in significantly smaller lettering, it says, Bright's job broken. Drake's streak ends. And they ha- and then they have the photos, like the four photos right next to each other where it's it, it's like a flip book almost. You can see this guy coming towards him. And I just think it's really interesting that the, the biggest headline needs to be Hawkeye suck, Cyclones win. Also, do you guys see this um, huge civil rights issue that's about to spark a lot of mayhem in collegiate football to begin with, but also among the civil rights movement? Let's make that a little smaller. Here's what I'm going to say about that. Obviously, there are huge prejudices at play that are making that story smaller from the race perspective and from a, like, size of school Mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah. But also, all I'm getting away from it, let me rephrase that, all I'm getting out of it or what I'm taking away is um, there's too much football in Iowa. We can't no... fit it all on the front page of the paper. <laughs> and, what are we oh... going to do with all this football? <laughs> well, and the thing is, too, is Drake University now, it's it's a Division One subdivision. So it's it's not like what we would think of as Division One now. But at the time, it was, it was. D1. Yeah. It was in a huge league. It was a big school. It was an amazing football program. Yeah, but Iowa wasn't in the name. No, it was a private school. Yeah, not everyone can be out of state. Anyway, (laughs) and this is where it gets frustrating. So it was common knowledge at Oklahoma A&M that the coach was saying- Was encouraging this. Was encouraging this. Was, were they, were they encouraging it because he was the best player on the team and that it would cripple the team if they took him out? Or was it racially charged or yes? One of someone, Bob Spiegel from the Des Moines Register, interviewed students that said that they they overheard the Oklahoma coach repeatedly saying, "quote Get that n word." Oh, fun! So I think we can assume that it was racially motivated. Okay. And then yeah, and the the journalist was sitting behind the Oklahoma players, and one of the players turned around and said, "We're gonna get that n word." Like it was. It was probably a chant, I'm sure, at one point, too, in the student section. Like, yeah. it was very blatantly racially It was definitely motivated. part of it. Will Banks-Smith, to this day, well, not to this day, because he died last year on January 14th. 
but to his death said it was not racially motivated. I played like that all the time. I always played like an irresponsible asshole with no regard for the health and safety of others. There are dirty players in every sport and from time and memoriam, but this, this was racially motivated. The coach was encouraging it in the locker room. He was saying it out loud around students and the players were saying it on the bench during the game. In front of reporters. In front of reporters. That effectively ended his Heisman run. He did not win the Heisman that year. And like he ended up being fifth, like fifth place. I didn't know they like released the the order, but he ended up going from top contention, most likely going to get it, to having to sit out for a lot of games and not winning the Heisman and getting fifth. He still that season, even though he had to miss like half the season, scored 70% of the team's points for the whole season. He rushed 70% of all of the yardage for the team that season. Like, you, you concussed him. You broke his damn jaw. Uh, you probably scared the fucking shit out of him because it's civil rights era. Yeah. There are people that don't want to see black people do well. And now you just had a physical show of violence that yeah. now everyone else can see. Um, and yet... And yet he's still you're really fucking so, good at football. You're still just really damn good at football and carrying your team. Also, he's still running track and playing basketball. Like, <laughs> I like to think that he's like, well, I guess I'll, I guess like basketball, it's a little harder for me to get punched in the face or like forearmed in the jaw. And um, I guess, I guess track is even less contact sports. <laughs> In 1980, three years before his his death, Bright was being interviewed and Johnny Bright said, there's no way it couldn't have been racially motivated. And then he went on to add, quote, what I like about the whole deal now and what I'm smug enough to say is that getting a broken jaw has somehow made college athletics better. It made the NCAA take a hard look and clean up some things that were bad. After that game, face masks were required. You had to play with them on. They started making penalties for specific illegal hits. Mm -hmm. It made the game safer. Also, during the civil rights movement, this was, I mean, this, the civil rights movement was also helped by the fact that social media at the time, different kind of social media, but they were recording, you know, people in sit-ins, children getting hosed by fire hydrants, Uh, the photographs of johnny bright getting his jaw broken yeah there i read an article that says one of the struggles of the movement and the success of it was about dramatizing and visualizing the injustice of segregation didn't really need to dramatize it it was pretty fucking dramatic yeah but seeing that on headlines seeing that on tv that's what changed things there's a quote by uh they, oh, they actually won the Pulitzer Prize for those photographs. And one of them said it was images of brutal white supremacy that captured sympathy from around the world. Mm-hmm. The bright photos were an early example of what was to come. So it's one of those where, you know, being able to see it, it helps. We need to see this to yeah. know what's going on. 
but we shouldn't have to see these things in order to make the change. Yeah. This. Well, we should, it, it's a photo is be is being like, prove it, show me. I won't believe yeah. you until there's photographic evidence. Well, I don't think that. So I'm sure no one else thinks that way. Yeah. And we're all nice and happy in one big versus, happy family. Versus just trusting and listening to victims and marginalized voices. Yes. So after the game, Will Banks Smith received like over a thousand letters. Most of it was hate mail and death Good. threats. Oh, I, the death threats might be a little bit much, <laughs> yeah. but I was, I was thought you were yeah. going to say that like people were writing him fan mail. No. Well, he like was proud getting, boys were sending him fan mail. He was getting some letters from white supremacists congratulating him and thanking him for doing that. But the vast majority was hate mail. If you get um, fan mail from white supremacists, take a good hard look at yourself and your life. Hey, Nat, what you been up to during the pandemic? Oh, God. Eating, mostly. Oh, like cooking and eating homemade meals and stuff? <laughs> no, like ordering delicious sweet treats and cakes from ECBG Cake Studio. They make specialty cakes for all occasions. They make wedding cakes, they do custom cookies, they have all sorts of sweet treats you can order and pick up. Don't they also do online baking classes? They do. So I guess I could get more hands-on with my baked good habit. While Natalie stops salivating, you should go visit at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram and their website, ecbgstudio.com. He never, he's never apologized. He insists that he's not racist and it was not a racial incident and that he had landed the same hit on a white player earlier in the game. Not true. He said in 2012 that he was glad the incident had helped to integrate football, saying, quote, it took me a long time before I could smile about it, but now I can. I think it was a tool civil rights organizations used, and it was very effective. Is this what is this what your face was doing? Is this yes. what your face was doing when I when we logged into the Zoom? Nope. Cause now my nope. face is doing it. <laughs> that's not even it. It gets worse. Well, it doesn't get worse, but that's a separate thing. OSU never apologized. Well, they apologized in uh, 2005. The president of Oklahoma State University wrote a letter to the president of Drake University formalized, formally apologizing for the incident. The apology came 22 years after Bright's death. Oklahoma A&M refused to apologize. This is also what really sucks. The dean of students at Drake University ended up transferring to Oklahoma A&M. And he didn't even apologize to and himself? And he didn't even apologize to Drake. Well, it was... It was later. I don't think it was the dean at the time, but it was ah. still the dean. And he did say, "I you couldn't even bring it up. You couldn't mention it. There's no way I could have apologized because it was such an issue of contention at Oklahoma A&M. Like, we don't talk about this, which is not okay. And you fucking came from Drake. Like, uh, in 2005, a formal apology was made. And it, it was, quote, an ugly mark on Oklahoma State University and college football. Well, yeah. After uh, Bright graduated, he was a first-round pick for the NFL. He was the fifth pick of the draft to play for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he said, nah, bye, bitch, because the NFL was oh, getting... Dan. He just Michiganned them. He Michiganned them. In 1952 was when he got drafted 
to the NFL or invited yeah. to draft for the NFL. The division was like getting bigger at the time. And, and there were also a lot of more, a lot more Southern players at the time. I don't know if there were more new Southern teams or what, but Bright said, I would have been there, and this is a quote, their first Negro player. There was a tremendous influx of Southern players into the NFL at the time, and I didn't know what kind of treatment I could expect. Fair. Fair, <laughs> Because yeah. you got your fucking job, I mean, job not bro. fair, because he, he's well, passing yeah. on, like... A fair assessment a dream of the career, situation. But yeah. Yes. Well, so he ended up uh, moving to Canada, and he, he joined the Calgary Stampeders. Great name. Um, and he switched to defense. <laughs> Like he, he was, was like, you was, know, oh, I would rather be the one hitting people than getting hit all the time. Sorry, I lied. He didn't switch to defense. He was playing offense and defense. And then the next season, he played offense. And they're like, you know what? We're just going to keep you. We're going to keep you on offense. Because, I don't know, we kind of score a lot of points. Seems I don't like know if you knew this, but you're move. really good at this. He played for the Calgary Stampeders until 1954, till he got traded to the Edmonton Eskimos. Um, and he had a, a huge career with them. He is in the Canada Football Hall of Fame. He is in the Drake University Hall of Fame. He's in the Collegiate Hall of Fame. He's in all the Halls of Fames. Like everyone wants him in his hall. Drake University <laughs> retired the number 43. That's huge. It's huge. And then, and some like, ESPN NFL announcer said like he was the greatest player to ever wear the number 43. Not just a Drake, but like ever. He still holds records to this day. The best running backs in the world of all time are still like behind him on like yards per average yards per carry. Like he's number four of all time. It's just insane. And Drake University ended up naming the football field after uh, Johnny Bright. Not the stadium, because the Drake Stadium, like the Drake Relays, there's a big track meet every year, except this year. So the track's named after someone else, the football field's named after him, and then it's just called Drake Stadium. Because Iowa State University is the only Division I collegiate stadium that's named after an African-American, Jack Trice, who is also a black football player who's killed on the field. That's where I thought this story was going. Yeah, this one... I won't say it had like a happy ending, but he at least he at least one didn't get killed on the field. Yes. And two, like got to still have his career in pro football. He had to yeah. leave the country to do it. I mean he, he became... didn't have to leave the country to do it, but he yeah. saw the value of leaving the country to do it for, you know, his own personal well being. Yes. Well, so he uh at in the in the fifties, like NFL players weren't getting paid a shit ton of money like they are now. A lot of them had second jobs. Mm-hmm. So in Canada, he was he was a teacher at his, as a second job. And the NFL kept trying to recruit him, kept trying to recruit him. And he's like, you just, I can't, maybe if you pay me what I'm, I'm making here to play football and be a teacher, yeah. But I'm playing yeah. great football. I've got a great career. People uh, aren't trying to murder me on the field. Yes. Uh, he ended up, so he was a teacher and then he became a principal. And then I think he became the superintendent and ran this middle school and was just like, I don't know. You got to love a teacher, especially an NFL teacher, not NFL, yeah. CFL, Canadian football. I just love the idea of like, you know, you have those teachers that you're like, you're teaching 
because you want to be coach you because you want to coach and you needed, <laughs> yeah. you needed to be teaching something but i love the idea of being like no 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 no, no. i'm not coaching the i'm not coaching the middle school football team i'm playing for the cfl <laughs> I do. I think he actually did coach for oh. like a high school team or whatever too. But he also was like, I'm also like fucking superintendent and, and principal of the school. Like, yeah, I'm not becoming a teacher just to coach. And if you do, that's your that's your choice. Coaching is great and it's very important. I have a lot of coaches that were awesome. And I have a, I had a lot of teachers that I was like, I'm pretty sure you're just here to coach who still were great teachers. Yeah. I just was like, mm, you don't care about geography. <laughs> <laughs> you don't seem like you're super passionate about geography. Maps. Yeah. <laughs> um, he didn't talk about the incident a whole lot. And he said his daughter didn't know about it until she went to college. And he gave her a book of Pulitzer winning prize photographs of which. Him getting his him, jaw broken. Yes. Was in. What, of a, and, what a gift. Yeah. And she's like, and he wouldn't really tell me about it. I had to do my own research. I had no idea. And that was just how he was. That stuff happens. You put your head down, you get through it, and mm -hmm. you make something good happen. The reason that my face was so mortified oh, no. is that I was looking for a picture of Wilbank Smith, and there's an article about him. And I was a little confused because the picture is like really cute old man smiling, standing on the OSU football field. Like, am I about to read a feel good? piece and it's from the Ocali which is the I think it's the OSU school newspaper mm -hmm. and again I had to skim most of this because we needed to start recording but my let's just say Kyle Friedrichsen I, I have qualms sir is this, it a feel-good piece it is it starts off like Will Banks never got to tell his side and then it just like it literally in here says Not, like hey neither did johnny bright for a while because he had a broken jaw and it says he's never going to apologize for breaking johnny bright's jaw he's still angry no one has ever asked for his side of the story he's not racist and it's a long article and like a third of it is talking about like his wife no no like you're it's just, it's mortifying and it's like kind of placing the blame on Bright and like Drake University. It's just, I, I can't even, I don't even want to talk about it. I, again, I had to skim through a lot of it, but like it ends with like his last attempt at fixing his legacy was letting a college reporter into his house for some iced tea when no one else wanted to step inside the world of a perceived racist. It says perceived racist throughout the whole thing. Like he wants to correct his legacy. He understands that an older generation might have made up its mind about him and a new generation might not care, but he doesn't want his grandson to grow up thinking he's a villain. Like these are all quotes from this. Like, no. Here's the thing. You were told to go after a black player. Lots of slur words coming from mm -hmm. your coach, your team, your school with the intent to take him out of the game absolutely fucking not i will not accept your side of the story well and here i might be more willing to empathize with the plight of having your or sympathize with the plight of having like your legacy be this thing you did when you were a stupid college student 
because your stupid racist coach told you to do a thing and the position of authority, blah, blah, blah. I get it. Like you were told to do it. It's tough to be like, I'm only known now for this thing that I did when I was like 19 years old, this stupid decision. I made. But in that case, that would require you to acknowledge that it was a shit decision that maybe came from a very bad place other than just my coach told me and being friendly and competitive. It would, I... it would require an acknowledgement of wrongdoing for you to not have that be your legacy. I could be you know, empathize, impressed, maybe proud of this guy, if he could say, whoa, I did a lot of research. I did a lot of soul searching. What I did was wrong. Who I was back then was wrong. The things that were going, you know, like, like recognizing that the world was not good back then. And we were told that it was, that that was mm -hmm. normal. And I was able to, you know, come to terms and realize it. And he had never apologized. He never apologized. I do not feel sympathy for you for having a bad no. legacy. No, and it's like it's it's su it sucks that the that this is you're living your whole life with this is what you're like known for and shit and it's from when you were young and dumb but like it sounds like you still ignorant. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Also, he's I think he like lived in Oklahoma for the rest of his life, so I don't really think he's struggling with people being like, "Oh darn, you you're a bad racist." Because no offense, I feel like there's maybe a lot of those in Oklahoma. Yeah, he Does was he was at least harsh? he was at least surrounded by like-minded people for a yeah the, um, probably a majority of his life. Yeah, like he got a thousand letters of you know hate mail, some fan mail, a lot of hate mail, but it doesn't sound like his. His neighbors life were was ruined yeah. yeah whereas yeah it's i just i was just cringing and i was trying to scroll through quick and get it the article is so long and this <laughs> dumb little fucking college kid oh it was written in 2016 like i don't i also love how before i even got to that you're like oh was the thing you were so upset about I don't even remember what it was. This other, this, this other, other thing. Up thing. Nope. It's a thing that happened four years ago. Yeah. Woof, woof. Um, yeah, but. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that Johnny Bright still got to have an amazing career and legacy, even if he was robbed of that, most of that season and the Heisman. Yeah. yeah. That he at least still got to have. He would have been the first African-American to win the Heisman Trophy in 1951. That would have been, been so fun huge yeah also there are just some great pictures of johnny bright first of all the most aggressive eyebrows i've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life like they are just monumental on his face and it's just you can't i couldn't even tell that he had a mustache at first because he just has these very large eyebrows but they're impressive and i love them <laughs> But they've got, he's, he's got so many pictures, like when he's at, with the Edmonton Eskimos, like he's got his player card and he's just like leaping through the air, holding the football. There's so many pictures of him, like great action shots. And then a lot of, uh, he just looked like a fun guy. There's a picture of him because he had to have his jaw wired shut. There's a picture of him in a suit because I think they had like team dinners where they would wear suits and whatnot. And he's looking at a huge plate of ham and he just looks like so hungry <laughs> oh they actually they had to take one of his teeth out so that he could eat through a straw ah um we, so that wasn't fun 
we both yeah. end up doing stories where people were robbed of large achievements in the same decade. Yeah, yeah. Because the Nobel Prize that Dr. Xian uh, Xing Wu didn't get was the 1957 Nobel Prize in Physics. Oh, that's so right. We're, we're in the we're in the fifties. We're in, we're not we're not achieving things we should in the fifties. But I do like that that it, there was you know there was a, a happy ending. He had a great an amazing professional career. He was a teacher. He had a great professional career in education. Also, mm -hmm. Drake University is like known for its education programs. So like whatever. Awesome. Good for you, Drake. He had kids. He had a family. He has this amazing legacy. Like people still can't beat his records. His, his jersey's retired. Like, yeah. Good for you, Johnny. You deserve it. Well, I look forward to sharing these photos of him. <gasps> over yeah. on the social needs at shared pod on instagram and twitter there'll be some photos perhaps of johnny bright ogling a hunk of ham <laughs> you can ogle johnny bright ogling a hunk of ham you can and also check out dr Wu being a motherfucking phd physics doing queen queen you can do all those over at, at shared pod on instagram and twitter as always follow us we love you. If we got anything wrong, uh, if you want to have us do a topic that you're interested in, if you want some follow-up, basically, if you have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, you can send those to us via email at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you become a Patreon member, you can listen to our little local episodes, which are about just little odds and ends of history from the towns that we live in and the town that maybe you live in yeah you can do that over at patreon.com slash arcade audio as i mentioned at the beginning of this episode this is our penultimate episode of the season so if you miss us while we're away there's a whole bunch of little local bonus content waiting for you there already at time of recording there's at six there's i think actually a total of eight bonus episodes total so you got you got some goodies over there and there'll be more at the, by the time this episode goes live so go support us on patreon the monies is very much appreciated we're saving up to get our episodes professionally transcribed it's expensive and we don't want to underpay someone to do it because we believe that it is important for uh podcast accessibility mm -hmm. because podcasting is not a visual medium Turns despite out, what we may tell you despite every day all of the lies that we tell you so head on over to patreon head on over to instagram and twitter head on over to the emails wherever you need to find us we'll be right there waiting for you but until <laughs> next episode until our season finale share you later Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at ArcadeAudio.net.